Good morning, everyone. If you're a, a Christian who hasn't really done much reading yet about going deeper into your faith, maybe the best place and best person to start with is C.S. Lewis. Lewis, we all know him from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You could read that too, but it's not really about your faith. Um, but Lewis wasn't a Catholic, but he was more Catholic than most Catholics. He was an Anglican, and he had a way with words that was amazing. He had a way to explain the faith where he just broke it open, and he was able to bring out what it's really about and the center of things. And he's just a magnificent author. I want to kind of recommend a book to you as we start today. It's actually not written by Lewis, but it was written by someone who knew him personally. And there's a couple of letters by C.S. Lewis that have been put in the book as part of the story. Uh, this is a book called A Severe Mercy. Uh, it's an amazing book. And what, what it is, it's, a, it's an autobiography. It's written by a guy named Sheldon Van Aken who eventually became Catholic, but not in, in this story. But the story is about the most romantic love story you'll ever read about in your life. It's amazing I became a priest after I read this. But it is. It's so powerful. It's so beautiful. And this is going to seem like a spoiler, but if you read it, this is in the first few pages. Uh, true story. So this couple had the most amazing love story. It just seems perfect. And you find out early in the book that the wife, her name, they called her Davy, died tragically at an early age. And then the, the story goes back in time from that moment, and it looks at their story. And they had this amazing, just so powerful love, so beautiful. But when she died, C.S. Lewis wrote a letter to Sheldon. And what had happened is that Davy and Sheldon in their marriage, they made one kind of big mistake. They loved each other passionately, but they decided to be selfish in their love. And they conscientiously chose that. And they said, we don't want to share this love with anyone else, and Sheldon admits that. And so they purposely excluded children from their marriage. And C.S. Lewis actually reprimands him for that. He says, real love, the love of God, when we experience it, it always overflows. If we have real love in our life, it overflows and it blesses others. That's true for you, that's true for me. As a celibate, my love for God and vice versa shouldn't be just about me and God. And that doesn't mean if you haven't had kids, you're not going to, that that's necessarily your situation. That blessing can overflow in various ways. But openness to life is important, but that's not what today's homily is about. But Lewis wrote him and he said this. He said, and Lewis was so in love with his wife that he called, Lewis called Sheldon's wife's death, or Davy's death, he called it a severe mercy. 
the severe mercy of God, because God loved Sheldon so much that he was endangering his own salvation because he loved his wife alone above all things, including God. And so Lewis wrote Sheldon and he said, Davy's death was a severe mercy. And he has one of the best lines right after that. He says, her death was a severe mercy. He says, there's not a normal person that I would usually write this and say this to. And he said, please take this as a sign of my utmost love for you and respect. And he says, one writes soft things to fools and weaklings. One writes soft things to fools and weaklings. I love that line. Today's gospel and today's readings, brothers and sisters, are about correction and challenge. It's about when we love someone enough to tell them the truth and to tell them a hard truth. And most of us aren't ready for that most of the time. But I want to be there. And today I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, just disclaimer on this homily. Hypocrite. 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 Okay? So if you come up to me later and you're like, hey, Father Brian, I want to challenge you on something, I'm going to be like, sorry, moving to another church. Talk to you later. But I do want to get there. I want to be the type of person who it's not about my ego. I want to be the type of person who people can challenge me because they love me and they want what's best. I want that. In the Old Testament, there's a... The prophets have the hardest job. They have such a hard job. If you want to be a prophet, it would not be something people really wanted. It, it's foolishness. Prophets had such an arduous, difficult task. Their job was to speak to the powerful and also to Israel in general and to tell them their sins. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be like, count me in, <laughs> all right? Like, I'm going to go be the preacher to President Trump, and I'm going to tell him his sins, Right? Not a fun job. I'm going to get on television and preach to the American people and tell them what sinners everyone is. That's what the prophet did. That was their role. And people, because of that, tended to not like the prophets. Jeremiah suffers tremendously because he tells people the truth. And the hard thing is, in his time, what's going to happen in Jeremiah's lifetime, Jerusalem is about to be destroyed. And God has given it up to be destroyed because the Jews have sinned so grievously. And so God tells Jeremiah, he says, go and tell the people, if they don't stop worshiping false gods, if they don't repent and stop committing adultery, if they don't repent and stop murdering and stealing and oppressing those who are weak, they will go into exile. And so Jeremiah does that, but the hardest part of his job was that there were a bunch of false prophets around him 
who kept telling everyone, don't listen to him, it's all going to be just fine. And so Jeremiah is the bad guy, and he's isolated. And here's what he says in chapter 28, Jeremiah 28, he says this. He says, the prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. And that's a reference to Christ. It's so hard. Wouldn't it be easier if I were Jeremiah, and there's parallels today, of course, it's so much easier to tell people what they want to hear. And there's a certain brand of Christianity that does that. We all know it. There's a certain brand of Christianity that says, it doesn't matter how you behave it doesn't matter if you don't follow God's commandments. Jesus loves you, and so it's all okay. And yes, brothers and sisters, if you're someone who's, who hasn't really discovered the faith yet, part, part of that's true. Christ does love you unconditionally, and he gave his life for you. He loves you more than anything. But he loves you enough to challenge you. He loves you enough to try to make you a better person. Thomas Merton says this. This is kind of a pessimistic line, but I love it because I'm melancholic. He says, place no hope in the inspirational preachers of Christian sunshine who are able to pick you up and set you back on your feet and make you feel better for three or four days until you fold up and collapse into total despair. Love it. <laughs> Love it. The gospel is good news, but brothers and sisters, the gospel is a challenge. Jeremiah is commissioned, or Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel today, we heard Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel is named a watchman. And the watchman's job is to announce bad news, not because they like bad news, but because people need to know. A watchman stands up on the height in a city and he looks for a coming army. And no one in the city wants to hear that there's an army coming to destroy their city. But it's a good thing. Because if no one knows, no one will be prepared. And so the watchman has a hard job, but it's a job of love. It's a task of love. And so today God says to Ezekiel, he says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. There's two points today I want to make, brothers and sisters, practically. And it's all about correction. And so on the one hand, I want to talk about how you and I are called to challenge people. And we need courage for that. And the other one's going to be about how we receive challenge when it's directed towards us. It's so hard to correct people, isn't it? We'd rather, when I was in seminary, we had a um, preaching class, and it's like the worst class ever. It's terrible. And because what you have to do is you get up in front of 10 of your classmates and you preach to them. And they're like, 
whatever, Larkin, blah, 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 blah. And they know you. They know everything about you. It's so hard. And they've been in every class you've been in. And they, they just know you. It's super hard to, to do that. But what would happen is whenever a guy got up, the professor asked the rest of us in the class to critique whoever was speaking. And my class was a bunch of pushovers. We were terrible. I remember one guy got up one time, who remained nameless. He got up, and he was supposed to give a funeral homily to the class. And he got up, and he literally stood at the podium, total deadpan. He looked up, and he goes, death. Everyone dies. That's why we're here today. And he went on and on. And at the end, the, the professor, Father Gallia, was like, all right, guys, what'd you think? And everybody's like, that was awesome, man. Like, maybe a little more like inflection in your voice, but you were great, you know? I hate correcting people. It's really hard. But that doesn't help him. And I was so grateful for Father Gallia, because Father Gallia ripped him to shreds. <laughs> and he needed it. He needed to hear that. Father Gallia literally said, he said, that is the worst homily I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> right? And I was like, I thought it was good. <laughs> people need that. If We have to have the courage. We have to have the love. We have to love people enough to challenge them. The context for all of our readings is not about people we don't love. Today, Ezekiel is made a watchman for the house of Israel. It's his people. It is the people of God. It's people he loves. In our gospel today, when it started, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you. We're not talking about people we don't know. We're talking about Christians. People we love. It is hard to correct one another. I am very bad at it. In my community, we know it's important, and it's really hard. I don't think we do it very well. I probably do it the worst of any member of our community. But we all know it's important. And if you really love someone, St. Thomas Aquinas says to love someone is to will what is best for them. The best thing for that guy who gave that homily was to know that that was a terrible homily. Because if he does that over and over again as a priest, not only is he not going to help the people of God, he'll suffer himself. We have to love people enough to have the courage to say, my brother, my sister, I love you, and you got to work on this. So important. One caveat, I didn't say this last Mass, and I was like, I just need to say this. I don't think it's too many of us, but sometimes there's a particular Christian who feels like they should go and just correct everyone. That's not the case. If you're going to challenge someone to correct them, the number one rule that you need to ask yourself is, am I doing this because I love this person and I want what's best for them? And if you can't say yes to that, bite your tongue. That's the rule. The flip side is receiving. So we're going to have an exercise. After this homily, this side of the church is going to pick someone on this side, and you're all going to correct someone. 
right? Find something. No. Wouldn't that be awesome? Practical Christianity. Receiving correction is so important, and this is almost more important. It's almost the first thing that you and I can really work on today. When someone corrects you and they call you out on something, we're all prideful. St. Augustine says that pride is kind of it's a love of self. It's a disordered love of self. There's a healthy love of self and there's a bad love of self. The bad love of self is when we just want to look good and we want to have comfort. And we've all got that. So when someone corrects you, right, what do you do? The first thing, I do one of two things. When someone corrects me, you, if I know them, the first thing I usually do is that's like one of the companions will come to me and be like, Larkin, like, whatever it is, you're, you didn't do this. You didn't pick up dishes last time. You're late for our meetings. The first thing that I do is I'm like, do you really want to go there? Let's talk about last week. You did this, this, and this. Let's not even bring up the Christmas party last year because we don't want to go there. Okay, sit down, right? I do that. If people correct me, I start, you can start thinking of their faults. Don't do that. The second thing that I do is I'll justify. Right? People will be like, Father Brian, you didn't do this very well at Lourdes. And I'm like, well, you don't know how hard it is to be a priest. Right? Just take that. We're always looking for ways to get out of it. One of my friends, another priest brother, when I first came to Lourdes, he pointed out to me, and he's a younger brother, he pointed out to me that I was doing something incorrectly in the way I said Mass. And I was like, thank you so much. No, I wasn't. I was like, what do you know? You're newly ordained. I've been saying Mass for three years. Go, go home and like work on this. And then I cut him out of my life, and we haven't spoken since. No, that's not true. But, but he did. He corrected me, and I was mad. I was hurt. My pride was wounded, and I just had a bad attitude. But then I got over it, and I looked at what he said, and he was right. And it wasn't a big deal. I wasn't doing something that was a big deal, but it wasn't correct liturgically, and I changed. And it was awesome, because you know what? I'm a better priest because he did that. You and I, this is not about other people who are not Christians. The number one priority in our life is to grow closer to God. You need people in your life who love you enough to help you get there. Not that they're out to nitpick every fault you have, but that both of you know we love Jesus, we want to grow in holiness, and I can't get there by myself. I need someone who loves me enough to help me get there to help me see my blind spots. Very practical thing I want to recommend to you. One of the best things that I ever saw regarding this in seminary, there was a, when I was, <clears throat> I don't know, halfway through seminary, they made me the head MC of the seminary. So I was in charge of all the masses, especially when the bishop came. And I was terrible at it. I think that's why they put me there. They were like, Brian needs to grow in this. He needs to learn how to do this better, so we'll put him in charge. Um, and so I was in charge of it. And before you're ordained a priest, your last year you're, you're ordained a deacon. 
And so at every Mass, there was a deacon. And sometimes deacons would do things that were totally wrong. And it was hard to see, like, talk to him about it and be like, hey, by the way, could you not throw the book of the Gospels on the floor? That'd be great. You know, no one did that. But there was one deacon, and I'll just honor him. He's not a priest of Denver now. He's a priest in um, North Dakota. But his name's Father Kevin Zilverberg. And I'll never forget this. He knew liturgy a hundred times better than me. He was an expert in liturgy. He knew everything he was supposed to do. He knew every gesture. He knew every prayer. He knew it perfectly. And after every Mass at the seminary, he would come to the back, and he'd talk to me, and every time he would say, Brian, is there anything that I didn't do correctly? Would you help me if I missed anything? Is there something that I could have done better today? And that made it so easy. And I knew with Kevin, I knew that I could just tell him, hey, Kevin, you actually missed the penitential rite, or whatever it might be. And he wasn't attached to his ego. And he wasn't going to snap at me. And so my, my big practical, if you remember nothing else today, practically, practical-wise, after today's Mass, speak to a Christian friend and make that clear to them. Say to them, you know what? I want to grow in my faith. I want to be a better person. And so if you see me doing something that isn't helping me grow in holiness, I actually want you to help me. I might get mad for a little bit. My pride might revolt. But I love God. And I want to not be in my blind spot. I want to get closer to him. It's so important that we're able to do that. Secondly today, second practical point of application. All, every Christian should know this. If you've experienced the opposite, it's one of the most painful things you can go through. But today in Matthew 18, Jesus says this. You go and correct your brother. Or if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. You and him alone. A friend of mine used to always say that being able to do this, to handle conflict and to challenge people is the mark, the mark of a mature Christian. When you have a problem with someone in this church, brothers and sisters, don't come to me. Go to that brother or sister. Love them enough. And this, by the way, this is not like good practical advice. This is a commandment of Jesus Christ. When we gossip about others, when we spread rumors about others, when we detract about others, and we've all done it, so have I, it does not help. It wounds the body of Christ, and it's a sign that you don't really love that person. You have to have the courage to do that. If then they don't listen, then you bring someone else with you. And then finally, there are consequences through the church. And today, the third point I want to leave you with is this. If anyone should be challenging you in the way you live, even before it's another Christian, it's him. 
When you hear the gospel, brothers and sisters, do you just tell yourself, oh, that's not about me. I don't have to listen to that. I'm not that bad at gossiping. Or do you allow Jesus to be God? The primary person that should correct and challenge us is Jesus Christ. The second person that primarily should challenge us is his church. Catholics are all too prone to say, oh, the church just made that up or that up. Really? Jesus today gives authority to his church to excommunicate people when they don't listen to her commands. Not because they want to punish us, but because they love us. Excommunication is about love. It's telling someone, I love you enough to tell you you're out of bounds. And if you don't fix this, there's going to be really bad endings to these things. So today, brothers and sisters, let go of your ego. People know you're not perfect. We all tell ourselves, people, we think, oh, everyone, everyone thinks I'm so amazing. No, they don't. Right? No, they don't. You're not that big of a deal. You're very good. You're loved by God, and you're good because he created you. But you're not perfect, and everyone knows that, and so you don't have to pretend you are. Let go of your pride. Let go of your ego. Love holiness more than appearance. Accept correction and embrace humility.